So before we get started, something might be helpful is if you have one of these, go ahead and get one of these out. These are our booklets we've made uh, for this series that we're in called No Matter What, God is in Control. And for those that have just joined us this summer, we're in a series on Daniel. And so if you don't have one, though, there are some, I know, uh, on the, under the seat. So if you need one and want one, go ahead and grab one. The other thing we want to make you aware of is there are Bibles down there, too. So if you don't have one today, we are going to dig into the Bible and read it. So we want you to have one to use. So if you need to, go ahead and grab that, too. And here's the other cool thing about that. If you don't have your own Bible, we want you to take that one home. We always want you to have your own Bible to be able to study God's Word with and spend time with God in, if you so choose. Uh, so today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7. And so, if you want to open your Bibles there, for those that did borrow one of those Bibles from the seats in front of you, uh, if you need some help, it's on page 619 is where that's at in the Bible. This morning, we're making a transition now. The last six weeks, if you've been here with us, we've kind of gone through and seen Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and seen them live out this idea of God being in control no matter what. They got tested right away in chapter one with food and how they were gonna behave when the king kind of stole them from their land. And they had a choice to live out. And then later on in chapter three, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow down to the king. And they had to decide, man, are we really gonna stick to this or not? And then their, whatever you wanna call it, punishment, was a big thing of fire. And then we see later in chapter six, Daniel then also decides on his own to be faithful to God no matter what. And he gets thrown in a lion's den where lions should have ate him and killed him. And so he's seen them live it out live, what it means to really, in the heat of the moment, and maybe some of the hardest times you'll ever face, believe and live that no matter what, God's in control. Today, we take another step, and this is gonna be the rest of the book, is what we call his visions, dreams, slash prophecy. And now we're gonna start seeing more Daniel showing through what he's seeing that God is in control no matter what, today, tomorrow, and the future. So that's where we're gonna start in your first know. This is our big idea for this series. No matter what, God is in control. He is faithfully working in the present and the future. And we're gonna see that even more so today. So let's pray as we get started. God, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you give us someone to believe in and follow, no matter what. So God, this morning as we study this chapter and see what you're trying to show us, God, help us to be encouraged and also challenged to live in such a way as well. In your name, amen. So like I just said a little bit ago, we are hitting a new thing called prophecy. And we're actually gonna see this through the rest of the book of Daniel as we study this together through the rest of the summer. 
And prophecy comes with it a lot of different viewpoints. You know, you get certain people that want to tell you dates and times of everything and how that looks and how that means and what that's going to look like at the end. I'm not doing that this morning. There's people that want to show you every little detail of the passage. And that's okay, but I'm not going to do that this morning. And then there's people that want to show you that even in the midst of prophecy, and maybe not full certainty always to what that fully will mean, there's a bigger picture God's trying to show us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because I believe with all my heart, Daniel wants to do that. He wants to show us some things, but he also has a big thing he really wants us to be aware of. But as we talk about this, as we get ready for the rest of the chapters, I think it'd be good just to talk a little bit about some things that help us go together on this journey. First, prophecy gives us important details about the future that God wants us to know in advance. That's not so much on your notes. You can write that down if you want and make it a note, I guess. But he does that. A lot of times he'll do that so he knows. But here's why I think it's so important. So that when they occur, we see and believe that he is in control. That there's not just somebody writing down on a piece of paper for fun saying, on Tuesday, Lee's going to eat pizza for lunch. Who knows? I might. You never know. I like pizza. But he's showing that there's a bigger being that is all-knowing that can say, here's today, here's tomorrow, and here's thousands of years from now, what it's gonna look like and be. Another author said this, and I really appreciate this one. We need to be careful not to speculate how it might be fulfilled because we could throw people off track from the real fulfillment and believing he's in control. See, Daniel could easily write chapter seven and what we're about to read about these beasts and kingdoms and all this stuff. And he could write after that in the interpretation, maybe even not do the interpretation. He could say, here's what I see it's going to be. And he could have wrote a whole nother whatever, how many pages or verses and said, this is what it's going to mean. But here's the problem. What if you got it wrong? How many people in Israel then would be struggling to believe that God really is in control, that when prophets come up and speak that they're really speaking from God? The other side of it, as I think about it, is the religious leaders of Jesus' time. They're so focused on the details and what they believe prophecies say that they actually forgot what prophecy was telling about was Jesus Christ. And a lot of them missed the Messiah. So my heart this morning, as we go through this, is we're gonna talk about some of those things. We're gonna talk about the beasts, we're gonna talk about the horns and the little horn and all that fun stuff in this chapter. But this morning, we're not gonna miss God either. And he doesn't want us to miss him either. Another thing important about prophecy, and I love this actually from another author, is he says, God uses images that transcend over time so they could be understood in Daniel's time, and yet we can still understand them today. So we're gonna look at this thing called a lion, a thing called a bear, a thing called a leopard, and I think most of us, the second we hear those, could picture them, right? Jesus even does that in the parables, he gives us examples of imagery, right? One of the big ones is farming. 
pretty much any of us in this room, especially those that farm, could instantly understand in a good way what Jesus is trying to say from that. Now, the difference is we know that farming isn't all the same everywhere you live or in every area you live. They didn't have a big John Deere combine back then to plow through their field, right? So farming's a little different. But overall, we can understand what Jesus is trying to get at. We just have to study a little bit more to understand them so we can get the bigger picture better. But some people ask you, and I know Pastor Jeff in a great way shared this at the beginning of this book, was all right, so let's not do all that then, right, or whatever. But does God still speak today in visions? Does he still use those ways? And the way we word it is this, God does use visions today, but we can't put them in a box. It's not the only way. It's actually what we would call not the primary way today. See, we believe he primarily speaks through his word. If you wanna know what God says, open the Bible. We believe that he speaks through his Holy Spirit. If you wanna know what God's saying, just listen. He teaches. We believe that God uses prayer. If you wanna know what's going on or anything, God does listen and wanna talk to you. And we believe that he uses trusted Christians. So in the midst of the word, in the midst of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of prayer, you sometimes, like me, still get a little confused. What does this mean or what's going on? And that's where the beauty is of other people that you trust come alongside you to help you maybe discern or figure it out. But here's what we ultimately know. If you have a vision or if you're in the word, everything aligns with his word no matter what. Everything aligns with his word no matter what. So if you do believe you had a vision, walk through those steps, get in the Bible and go, does this even work with what God's trying to say? Okay, does the Holy Spirit agree with this in my heart? Man, I'm gonna spend some time praying about it. Does that really still feel right? And then in the end, I just need to talk to somebody to make sure I'm I'm all right. (laughs) And that's what we believe, and that's what we want to focus on. And so in this, we get chapter one through six, right, that show a narrative, and now we're going to study the prophecy. But let's open up our booklets real quick here before we dig in. We made these booklets for you to help you as a tool to kind of get an idea of where the different chapters are in the Bible at human history and their history. And you'll see here that at 556 B.C., Daniel 7, which we're going to be looking at today, meshes with a new king, Belshazzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, who originally has been the king, is now out of the way, and we have a new king. And that's our first note together. Belshazzar becomes the new king during Daniel's dream. I think that can be important for a number of reasons. One, it gives us a time of where we're at in history. It also allows us to compare to human history and go, is this really legit? But I think the other thing is, here you had Nebuchadnezzar living with this guy for a long time and seeing how he lived. And in the end, if you read the other chapters of Daniel, he starts to believe in that God because of the way they lived. But now you have a new king, which changes the game. Because now it's like, does this guy really trust Daniel? 
Does he really believe what Daniel's saying? So things change, but either way, God still speaks no matter what, when he wants. And so using that, our next note, Daniel was to reassure Israel that no matter what earthly kingdom was in place, God was still in control. And I really believe that's why we have seven through the rest of the book. He's first showing, this is how I live, this is how my buddies lived. We believed it and we lived it. And now I want to show you through what I'm seeing, I still believe it and I still live it, but man, I'll tell you what, in the midst of all this, what I'm about to show you is I still believe no matter what, today or in the future, God is still in control. So let's look at this together. Daniel has a dream of four beasts. Anybody ever had a nightmare or a bad dream? Yeah, you can raise your hand. I like it when I raise your hand because I try to get my students. Oh, man, holy cow, lots of hands. I don't know how you ever feel after you have a bad dream or a nightmare, but I don't really like going to bed back after that moment, right? After that moment, I'm like, I think I'm going to stay up. Even if it's like 3 a.m., I'm going to stay up and play my video games and just relax. You know, Madden 16 is coming out pretty soon, so I'm stoked about that. But I think for Daniel, it's got to be one of those moments where he has this dream, and he's like, I don't want to go back to bed. Let's not close thy eyes and see more truth. And then you got these good dreams, right? You know you got to get up for work, and you're like, can I have five more minutes? That was awesome. And you don't want to get up, right? You want to close your eyes and go back to bed. But verse 15 shows us something. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Verse 28. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale that I kept the matter to myself. Well, we're about to look at Daniel's basically saying that was not a fun dream. So in your next note, Daniel had strong feelings towards what he saw. And the way he writes this, he makes it very evident. What is about to become, what is about to be seen is not fun. I mean, think about this. When you hear somebody's face turning pale, it usually means they get really, really sick, right? I mean, he is so troubled, so scared, whatever he's feeling in this moment, to the point where it's almost like he is getting sick to his stomach and not looking forward to what is about to come in the future. So what is about to come in the future? Well, he shows us. He shows us by showing us four different beasts. Now I'll tell you, in my studies, the first three were fun to study because every single person agreed that I read with. The fourth beast was a lot more interesting to study because everybody was arguing with everybody else about what it meant. And so I will this morning walk you through a little bit, but like I said earlier in prophecy, we're not gonna so focus on that. 
because I think there's something even greater and better to look at this morning that we can learn from. But let's look at this so we can see, though, what happens to make him feel this way. Verse four. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched it until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. Basically what it's saying is this in your note, the lion symbolizes Babylonia. What they're saying by the tearing off is this, that the king, you are going to lose your power. It is gonna get ripped away. Eventually there's gonna be another people group coming in, another leader, ruler to take over. And even though you're powerful and mighty like a lion, you will not fully keep going. So I wanna show you some maps today as we look at these different groups because there's something interesting about them. So let's show this first one to show you kind of like the area of Babylon. So this is what they owned. This is what they conquered on their map. It's a pretty good chunk of land. Daniel's living in this. He's living in a time where people got taken away from their home and torn away. A lot of times making being made to live the way they don't want to live. That's pretty rough. So this one, Daniel's already living in. Then we get to the next beast, which is in verse 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It raised up on one of the sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat all the flesh you want. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm dreaming that, I'm praying God wakes me up really fast. Right? If we're being honest this morning. I mean, the lion, I mean, that, that's one thing. Like, I can handle that. Wings torn off, you know, whatever. But man, when I'm told like this bear, I'm picturing this big grizzly bear like coming after me and wanting to eat me. That's not an exciting dream. But what a lot of people agree on is this. They agree that it's Medo-Persia who's next in line. And here's the next map to show you their map. Man, that grew, didn't it? The land got more taken over so all of a sudden the land's growing of what these leaders are taking over and, and doing. So I wonder some of this, if Daniel's getting fearful of like, oh my goodness, how much land's gonna get taken over, how many people groups are gonna get taken over. But not just that, we know that as more groups go along, they treat people worse and it gets worse. And so that's not fun either. And then we go to the next beast in verse six. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. This beast they talk about is Greece. And we'll see in the next map how much land they've taken over. Keeps expanding, doesn't it? Keeps getting worse, doesn't it? I mean, I'd be terrified too if God is showing me this in a dream that, man, Daniel, you think you have a bad in your day? Number of generations behind you is probably gonna have a little worse. Makes me think of my son in all honesty. I like to complain and say I have a bad some days. 
But in reality, I don't have it as bad as I probably could or should or whatever word you want to use. But then comes my son. Who knows what he's going to go through? Who knows what he's going to face? And I don't know how to help in some ways. I do know this, though. I do believe with all my heart, and not just because I'm a pastor, I believe with all my heart that God is in control. I believe he's in control today. I believe when I wake up tomorrow morning, he's still in control. I believe if I'm still alive in 50 years, he's still in control. So one of the things I love to do is every night before bed, I love to hold my son and hug him, and I love to tell him that God loves you every night. Because I want him to know that no matter what in his life, God's in control. And I hope someday, and I pray someday as he grows up, he'll believe that for himself and he'll live it out as well. It's so big, folks, that we teach the next generation that as they go through their own stuff. But then we come to the fun beast, as I call it, the fourth beast. And we see this actually in a few different verses. So we're gonna look at three different verses. Verse seven first. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was ever left. It was different from all the other former beasts and it had 10 horns. Verse 19 Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beach, which was different from all the others. It was most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was ever left. Verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. That's a lot of fun. Now this one, the reason it's hard and confusing is this. A lot of people either say it's one thing or it's another, and there's all these debates that go on. Now I'm not going to go through all that this morning, but I do want to share you a little bit, because my heart is to let you know where I'm coming from. But here's the beauty. I also know you can study this on your own. I love in the book of Acts where the Berean church actually studies their own even when Paul teaches them and I don't ever claim to be as close to Paul in this world and so I just want you to know I won't be offended if you go home and study and go I don't know if I fully agree with you but in my opinion this is where I've come to a conclusion from study and this is the next note the fourth beast can symbolize Rome and a future kingdom. Now for people who argue it can't be Rome, one of the biggest arguments they say is what we read in verse 23, that it devours the whole earth. Now if we look at this map of Rome, we see that even in their time, they didn't devour the whole entire earth, but good golly, did they devour a lot of land. I mean, they took over a ton of land. 
so we get this idea. Hold on just one sec, please. Check. So we get this one idea of Rome that they say it can't be because of this idea that it didn't take over the whole land. Another reason they say this is because you get this idea of ten horns. Now, the horns symbolize power, strength, kings, kingdoms. And so what they're saying in the Bible is that it's ten kings that are going to come play in this era of this fourth kingdom. And so what they say is, the authors that argue that, is they say Rome didn't have ten kings. They actually had 60. And so how could it be Rome? They also argue the little horn, which we're going to go a little bit more detail later. But a lot of people say it's the Antichrist, and so it's hard to say it's Rome. Well, we do know there's an Antichrist in Revelation, right? But there's also in another book of the Bible where John speaks, and he says there's Antichrists. And so there could be people that want to tear down the saints that will come along throughout history. They also say the word like is not used. The other three, they say it's like a lion, like a leopard, like, and, I, and my struggle with that is, yeah, that's true. But the other reality is it's so different. The Bible says right here that it's so different. It's not categorized. So how can you say it's like something? For those that argue it's Rome, they argue that Daniel goes a lot with Revelation, and so it ties together a lot when you study them. And so you have that. It also says that Christ died on the cross 600 years later, and so you stop with Rome, right? And you have the victory of Christ on the cross, and you have all that happening. And then they also compare a lot of times Daniel chapter 2 and 8, which talks a lot about these kingdoms in different ways. Here's what I do know, though. The Bible often gives us an initial partial fulfillment of a prophecy, but there's a greater, more complete fulfillment in the future. And that's why, in my opinion, I say it could be Rome and the future because there's initial beginning with Rome up to the time of Christ. And Christ does have a victory. We know this on the cross and through his death, right? And the resurrection. But I do believe at some point there is going to be a not fun kingdom coming into play. And I don't know if it's my time or 20 generations from now. I'm not worried about that. I know God's got a plan and he's going to do it no matter what I predict or not. But what I do know is that God's in control no matter what. And he's trying to show us that with Daniel. And so we have... This little horn coming into play. And one of the hard things, too, that comes into play is how you interpret the horns. And the little horn does affect how you interpret what is the fourth beast. And I totally agree with that and get that. But the little horn, it's very interesting. This little guy has a lot of intelligence, but he has a lot of arrogance. He wants to dominate. And he wants to be one of the last leaders of Earth's kingdom. I mean, he even knocks three of the kings out of the way so he can rule more. But one of the things I do know, we're going to see this here. Let's look at these verses that talk about this little horn. Verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man in the mouth that he spoke boastfully. Verse 11. 
Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and the body destroyed and thrown in a blazing fire. One of the things that's becoming very obvious is this little horn likes to use his mouth. Verse 20 and 21. I also wanted to know about the ten horns and on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had the eyes and mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. And then verse 25. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a time and a half. So what do we know about this little horn? He likes to use his mouth. He's going to try to build himself up. He's going to try to tear our God down. And he's going to try to tear believers down as well. And try to ruin them. But the beauty is, and I love this, no matter what he tries to do, God goes, knock, knock, time out. Don't forget what I said in verse 9 and 10. Let's look at this. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was as white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and it was wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Tens, thousands, times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. God is saying right here in the midst of all this, Daniel, here comes this kingdom, here comes this kingdom, here comes this kingdom, and it's going to be really bad for humans. But guess what? It still doesn't matter in the end. Why? Because I'm still in control. These kingdoms can come in and think they can do whatever they want, and in the end, I still hold the main seat at the table. I'm the one that sits on the throne, and I really believe with all my heart in this prophecy that God is trying to show us some things, but his ultimate thing he's trying to show us is, hey, things are going to happen in the future, and they're not going to be fun, but folks, believe in me. Israel, believe in me. Cherry Hills, believe in me that when those days come, I'm still seated on the throne, and at those days come, I'm still the king in charge, and I'm still the God in control no matter what what? Can I get an amen? I mean, how cool is that? Anyone want to believe in a God like that? I mean, think about this. He's a God that helps somebody through a food issue in chapter one. He's somebody that helped them through a fire issue in chapter three. He's somebody that helped them through a lion issue in chapter six. And then in that, he predicts the future. I think he's in control. But the question is, do we believe that? Do we trust that? Do we live that? Does that become a part of our being like it did Daniel and his friends? 
tomorrow when you wake up, are you going to wake up with full confidence that no matter what happens today, I believe God's in control and I'll just deal with what's going on? Even maybe when you leave the doors here, are you going to believe when you walk out here this morning that no matter what, God's going to be in control? And that makes a difference in everything. And here's the beauty of the next note. Daniel sees that these kingdoms will not succeed. He he sees these kingdoms will not succeed. Why? Because we are to focus our attention to the ancient of days, the next note. We are to focus our attention on the ancient of days. He's saying, yeah, these things are going to happen. Yeah, these countries are going to cause problems. Yeah, these leaders are going to be mean. Yeah, these things are going to go on. But our focus still needs to be on God. You know what? When I was praying, Daniel said, I was focused on God. When they threw me in the lion's den, I was still focused on God. When my friends went in front of Nebuchadnezzar, they were focused on God. When they were getting threatened to throw in a fire, they were still focused on God. Now, folks of the future and on, are you going to be focused on God and keep your eyes on him who will take care of you? I love the book of Psalms. He gives all these titles of, you know, rock, fortress, all these defending titles around us. And even right here in Daniel chapter 7, he wants to bring that out and say, I'm on the throne, and it doesn't matter. And our next note really relies on that. The Ancient of Days takes his seat on the throne. And we see that in verse 26 and verse 27. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away. That's the little horn. And he will be completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereign power and greatness of kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the most high. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey him. One of the things we're going to do a little bit later is we're going to get to sing to this God. And I love the two songs the team picked. But there's one other thing that comes into play here in Daniel 7 that's also very exciting. And it's called the Son of Man. In verse 13 and 14, we see this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. In the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of this horrible little horn, God is saying... The Son of Man is going to come. And he's in charge. And he's going to have victory. And one of the biggest ways we have victory is right there. The cross. And we can look at this little horn all day long, but guess what? He can boast all he wants. He can put me down all he wants. But one day he's going to have to stand before me in my throne. And I will judge him. Why? Because God's in control.
And so we see this in your next note. The Son of Man was a vision of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus even believes this about himself. I'll up on the screen here. We're going to show you Matthew 26, 64. It says, you have said so, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's claiming it, folks. Jesus is claiming Daniel 7 and saying, I am that man. In the future, and for those of us that are the future, we get the beauty of seeing it in the Bible that there is a God in control. And Jesus Christ already came and won, and they're in control from now till the time Jesus comes back again. And I find this interesting. The next note. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and the apostles view him this way. Mark 14 is one of my favorite verses on this. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. You know what the scene is right here? This is where Jesus just got taken in front of a man named Caiaphas, who's the head leader of the religious leaders at the time. And they asked him who he was, and he said, this is who I am. And because he claims this, they smack him and spit on him, and the leaders tear their clothes and call him a blasphemer because they're saying, you cannot be that guy. And he's saying, oh, yeah, I am. And he's saying, you guys can play like you're in control today. But you're not really in control. I mean, how many times does God have to say that to each of us each day? You think you're in control of your life. But if you believe in me and want to follow me, you're not really in control. Because I'm in control. Because I'm on the seat. But the beauty is because you're one of mine, we get to celebrate in a different way. So here's my question as we end this morning. There's two of them, and I did them both on purpose. I think about if anybody comes here and doesn't know who God is, I always want you to know we want you to know who God is. And God wants you to know who God is. So the first way to respond today is if you're in here today and you're like, I don't know if I have a relationship with God or I don't know God very well or I don't know of God, will you start today? Will you start either a relationship today? Will you start to get to know him today? Will you actually come talk to one of us today? Will you take that step in your response hearing that even back here in the book of Daniel, hundreds of years earlier, God shows this. The other one is, though, is this. Will you prepare yourself for hard times to come? And I mostly say that to those that already claim that they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Because every day there's going to be stuff we're facing. And, and in some ways it is going to probably get harder, if we're being honest. But the question is, are we preparing ourselves? Now I know I'm a huge planner. I know you can't plan everything. I hate saying that out loud. But we can prepare the best we can. 
And so here's some things I wrote down that we learn actually from Daniel 1 through 6 about ways to prepare. Some of us, we probably need to prepare learning how to have faith or trust God more. Some of us, like Daniel, we probably need to prepare by learning how to pray or even just praying in general and start praying. Some of us, we need to start preparing by getting in the Bible. I mean, think about this. As things get hard, one of the beauties is the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to pop in our heads to help us in that moment. Or if somebody comes to you in a hard moment and goes, can you help me? How can we help them if we don't know? Another way to prepare is be in community with others. I mean, the Bible is very clear on this. Jesus is very clear on this. Do this in pairs or more. You don't do it alone. Do it together. So that way, if somebody's struggling, the other person can help them out. Prepare by not worrying about what others think. I will be 100% honest with you this morning. That was my struggle coming into this morning. Prophecy is not an easy thing to teach on and talk about. The beauty is of Cherry Hills is that so many of you are so gracious in letting us teach that I wasn't as worried as I might be somewhere else. But I've had friends that have taught some of this stuff and they've got ripped apart. But then I have to ask myself, who's more important, God or you guys? Now, I love you guys to death. But I'm sorry, you kind of go second. Actually, not even second. That would be not fair. My wife will smack me later, right? (laughs) So my wife comes next, right? And my son. There's a pecking order. Anyways. (laughs) And another one I thought of when it comes to the book of Daniel. For some of us in this room, we need to learn how to practice probably better for preparing to follow God more instead of earthly people. There might be some other things you might need to do or work on, but you know where you're at, and I encourage you to think through that. But the ultimate thing is, is Daniel 7 is showing no matter what happens in the future, God is in control. So, we're going to take this moment now with the team, and they're going to lead us through song so we can sing to that God who is in control today and in the future.